This is the Pathways to Greatness podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Forrester. Many of you that follow me on social media have probably seen me say something about Highlight Coaching and Consulting. So what is that? So what we do at Highlight is we focus on teaching teens and young adults, and that's 18 to 35, valuable life skills that we wish we would have known. You know, I often ask the question, you've heard me ask it on some of these episodes of, if you could go back in time to high school and give yourself three pieces of advice, what would it be? It was actually an episode that I had not that long ago. Well, these pieces of advice is what motivated and inspired Jessica to create the ETA program to be able to pour back into teens and young adults because if we can equip them now in things that will help them make better decisions, not only through their high school years, their college years, but these are things that are going to stay with them forever. So if you're a parent listening to this and you have a teen or young adult, or if you happen to be a teen or young adult and you're listening to this as well, is the investment that you make today will pay massive dividends in the future. So these courses aren't free, um, these programs aren't free, but they're very, very worth it, if you ask me, because it's something that I know that I've just had to figure out. And so if I can help shorten the learning curve from 35 to 40 years down to just a few years, how can you put a value on that? Anyways, check it out. There's a link in the bio, not the bio, and then show notes um, for highlightcoaching.com. I encourage you to go there, check it out, reach out with questions, and let's have a conversation. Thanks. Here's the episode. Okay, I'm just going to prepare everybody right now is if you're listening to this in the car, I'm perfectly okay with that. A listen's a listen. If you have a chance to have a notepad or something to take notes, today I have the honor to speak with Brittany Richmond, and she's an anxiety expert and a speaker helping high school and college students become overcomers. And she goes into specific tactics on what you can do to become an overcomer, and they're not complicated. You can, they're fully customizable. You make them fit your life and what you need to do but you need to write those down. So one of the biggest things that that I took from the call and the conversation is the importance of just serving other people and looking for the effect in other people. But then also the phrase that she shared was, my anxiety is no one else's problem. And that just comes from a, a true place of confidence and strength. So without further ado, Brittany Richmond. <laughs> Well, and that's what I figured because I've talked to, and I usually start a lot of these this way, is that so many people you'll hear, I'll listen to podcasts and they'll go, I should have hit start. We had this right. great conversation. That's true. And that's true. my whole thing is like you, I just want people to see it just like it is. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's this no is reality. <laughs> this is reality for sure. Well, I'm glad you agreed to do this. Thank you for asking me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm so excited is, for, for Jess. I saw she got, she's presenting at CGTI, which is very exciting. Are you going to be there too? 
I'll be there Wednesday. I'll be coming in from a conference Monday, Tuesday. So I'll be there Wednesday. So. Okay. So it's a, a fast trip. Yeah. I have to figure out the, um, my possibilities for next year. Cause I think that next would year. be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I know it's she a had talked time. to Phil quite a bit about it and then she had, um, put in all the application and the form. And I think that you throwing out a, a good shout out to her helped as well. Yeah. I talked to, um, Ashley when I was at the event, you know, operation snowball, she had asked me about y'all. She's like, you know, M and P like told us about them a while back. And she's like, tell me all the things. And I'm like, they good people. Like, so like, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So she was like, okay, okay. So You're like, all right, we got this. We got this. <laughs> What's well, big. Well, and I also know the importance of putting your name on somebody, especially since, you know, we don't have a long relationship. It was, you know, one good conversation. It's tough nowadays because you just don't know, to, especially putting your name on somebody. It's a good energy. I have before been asked about, you know, people in the industry, just the industry in general. And I'm just like, I'll be, I never talk bad about anybody, obviously, but I'll just be like, I don't really know them, you know, like, we're just, you know, so that that's just, but I'm like really good at energy and I'm really intuitive with it. So I'm just like, Oh, the message is like resonating. Let's go. Let's help these babies. That's, that's right. what I Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I saw your post the other day about your transitioning away from volleyball. So my daughter has been playing volleyball for four years and she's 12. Oh, that's amazing. What a yeah. good age. Still, still like she's in a good, like skill development phase right now, which is really good. I for love sure. volleyball. I've been coaching it pretty much playing and coaching my whole life till, till now. So it's weird. What did you, what position did you play when you played? I was a setter. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's middle. She plays middle. Oh, very good. Wow. Yeah. She must be tall then. She is. She's five nine <laughs> right now at 12. Oh, good. So. <laughs> wow. The coaches are probably like, thank you. <laughs> so yes. Well, and what's great, I'll brag on her a little bit, is that she's got a really good net presence as well. Oh, so the the club that she went to before, they did a really good job in teaching them how to pass, teaching them some court awareness. And then their strategy is, and their philosophy, they don't play on the net. So we switched clubs and she immediately was like, everybody was like, you said, they're like, oh, we want you on the net. And yeah. with that previous coaching that she received, she just has a really good reaction that when she blocks it and it comes back, she can reach and get it back over. And she's got really oh, long good. arms and she's very aggressive at the net. Um, Good. so now we just got to work on her hitting and her serving. So, but she that's loves a, it. I love that. I think that's great. That's awesome. Cause yeah. net, net awareness is just something younger, younger girls struggle with. Cause they're still growing into their bodies. They're still awkward, you know, like they're just like, don't know how to control the extremities. So it's, uh, it's nice to know that she's, uh, she's already in, <laughs> in the process of controlling her body. So which well, is some really way, there's still arms and legs going everywhere, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it's, it's fun. And I, I didn't know anything about volleyball until she started playing and my oh. wife, she had coached it in college, um, some, and so she knew everything about it. And so it's just been a learning process for me to even know okay, what a setter is and what, you know, where you're supposed to move when you want to get set, you got to move past the 10 foot line. And so just all these different things that, that I've enjoyed learning and yeah. I'm a, 
a, a good cheerleader dad. <laughs> good, good, good. Because so. I will say from a, a coaching perspective, parents are some of the hardest. It, it's one thing to coach girls and, and any sport and guys in any sport, but it's a whole other thing to deal with parents. So oh my <laughs> I goodness. appreciate, I appreciate good parents that, that are yeah. like, listen to the coach. Like, like, That's yeah. all we do. Yeah. And it's because you can't have mixed messages. You can't have two things going on at once. And if the girls see, or the player sees the parents chewing the coach out, then that shows a, dis- a sign of disrespect to their position. So then they're not going to respect the coach. And so it's, it's one of, it's a great life lesson for them and for us and as parents. I, I would agree. I, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I love sports. <laughs> yes, me too. Well, everybody, this is Brittany Richmond. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. So we met Brittany through Phil, who's going to be at this point, when your episode comes out, I think he was like two or three episodes before. So I've already oh. um, had a conversation with him, which was fantastic. And he introduced us at Highlight, Jessica and I, to you. And we had a good conversation. And like you said earlier, how much you love the mission and we love your mission as well. So before I get into all that, I like to do fun stuff. Okay. So we're going to play <laughs> Would You Rather. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> you ready? Sure. Okay. Would you rather freeze time or go back in time? Oh, that's, that's difficult. I, I I'd probably say freeze time. Yeah. Probably say freeze time. Okay. You know, I'm going to ask you why. <laughs> uh, I know. I was thinking, I was like, what is the good answer for this? Um, partially because I, I feel like going back in time means eventually we'd have to come back to this point. And I think that there are so many things that I feel like we're often uh, like, we just want to go back, right? We want to go back to our loved ones, maybe who have passed on, or you want to go back to a situation and fix it or something. But, you know, I, I just think about certain points in the past that I want to go back to. And I just feel like, no, like we, we just can't go back you know, and whether they're good or bad, especially the good ones, right? Like you want to go back and relive those moments and those memories, but no, I really just want to preserve them. Just want to just leave it the way it is. And and I'd rather freeze time. I think so. So got it. Awesome. Okay. Would you rather live without music or TV? <laughs> Neither <laughs> need both. Jeff need, need both. both. Um, Let's see. I'd rather live without music, probably. Okay. Probably music. I, I'm very much an '80s hairband gal, so music today doesn't really appeal to me. So, like that doesn't. I wouldn't be like, oh, I miss this. No, I would not miss that. Um, but I, I really, I, I'm because of my anxiety. I think you've seen probably memes before. Where people are like people that rewatch the same show over and over because it's their comfort show. You know, like. I have those and I feel like not having those comfort shows to like play in the background to like calm my mind. Music doesn't calm my mind. So I I would definitely need the TV, I think. What what shows? Okay. So Frasier, Gilmore Girls, The Office, let's see, Golden Girls. Um 
Jeez, I have a handful. Last Man Standing is a fairly newer one. I just replay these shows all the time. Also sports. Like I want to watch sports. So right. <laughs> Gotta have TV to do it. Yep, I agree. So since you like the Gilmore girls, my daughter's name's Lorelai. Oh my goodness. Did you guys name her after Lorelai Gilmore? We did. Part of that. Did you? Stop yes. it. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm super my wife, jealous. My wife loved the show. And then there's the, a bar in Key West called the Lorelai and then the Rock of Lorelai as well. But so. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love that. I love Lorelai. If I could be anyone, it'd probably be Lorelai Gilmore. Yeah. Well, I her wit her. and oh everything. I mean, I think I thought it was just perfect how they wrote it and just her snap and snip every go around and. Yes. Yes. And I like her, how fast she talked. She was always super confident in most things in her life, right? In most things. <laughs> right. Um, but no, I just love everything. I love her style. I love her home. I love her eclectic feel. Everything about her. I'm like, let's all aspire to be like Lorelai Gilmore. So. <laughs> okay. Well, when, as soon as you said Gilmore Girl, I was like, I have to tell you my daughter's name. I love it. Okay. So would you rather play or coach volleyball? Well, I'm super competitive. So really either one kind of checks that box, but I think I'd rather play. Okay. Playing is super fun. I like to be active. So. Okay. And then the last one, would you rather have pizza or tacos? Pizza. <laughs> you didn't have to think about that one at all. <laughs> well, think about this. I can, if I really missed tacos, I could make a taco pizza. So like pizza <laughs> is life. Okay. Like that's <laughs> But like plain cheese, though, I'm not a serial killer. I don't need to put anything else on my pizza, <laughs> but um, plain cheese, like, let's just go plain cheese pizza. I've never heard that term as a serial killer with multiple times. <laughs> People are like, yeah, I want pepperoni sausages. I'm just like, are you a sociopath? Like cheese, <laughs> cheese, what are you doing? You're ruining pizza. So now, do you like light sauce or reasonable amount or heavy sauce? Normal. I feel like extra cheese, though. Oh, okay. Got to get your cheese. protein in. Cheese all day. Now, do you have a favorite pizza place that you get it from? Mm, not really. I think, I think I, because every pizza place has a different vibe, right? Like there's thin crust pizza, there's New York pizza, there's deep dish Chicago pizza. So it's like, what are you in the mood for? It's hard to compare when they're different genres. I feel like. Yes, I agree. I And I'm, I'm with you. I love pizza. It's one of those things you can just eat. No matter what, I like frozen tombstone pizza. <gasps> yes, it's so it just, good. It's it was funny because I grew up eating party pizza. I'm a lot older than you. Um, so, I still make those. They're super yeah. fluffy and awesome. Well, it's like <laughs> eating a cracker. And, and also, just, what's a lot older? I'm fifty. What, what's, oh, I'm thirty-seven. So okay. Yeah. So I'm a lot older. <laughs> Not a lot. Everybody, everybody's everybody's listening to this. Going, calm down, Jeff. Calm down. <laughs> Simmer down now. <laughs> um, but no, and it's like when you eat one of those pizzas, it's nostalgic for me. Like it takes me right back to mm. I'm 12. I throw it in the oven and rock and roll. And Love it's, it. you know, you got to have that sometime. And I like my high end pizza too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, the cheap stuff is always great. Like, or like yeah. pizza rolls, how they burn your mouth whenever you like put them in your mouth, but you won't stop. It's weird. It's like, I can't explain it. It's just what we did as kids. So. Yeah. Did you ever make like bagel pizzas or French bread pizza or yes. English muffin pizza? <laughs> it's like as yes. Anytime, 
anytime, <laughs> any sort of bread product with sauce and cheese. I mean, it's just, it's so epic. I don't know why it's so good. I might have to get it tonight now that we're talking about it so much. <laughs> I've, I've derailed any diet plan that you may have had. Totally derailed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're Brittany Richmond. You're an anxiety expert, a speaker. And this is what mm. I love that you're helping high school and college students to become overcomers. Yeah. And I think that's so cool because we all know that that's a, such a critical time mm-hmm. in our lives. And if we can just help them where we were to get mm-hmm. over some of those humps that we had, how mm-hmm. much better things will be. They're still going to have challenges and obstacles, but it's equipping them with good tools. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it comes from my own battle tested experience too. And, um, you know, sometimes when, when people talk to me, they'll, they'll ask me like, when was rock bottom for you? Cause I, you know, really struggled in my teen years. Um, and I was like, rock bottom for me was like a good seven year time frame, Y'all there was no like moment. Cause you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, that was rock bottom. That moment. I can tell you where I was, what I was doing, all the things that was rock bottom. And I'm like, no, like I was, this whole time frame was like rock bottom. And it was like, probably sophomore year of high school through end of college. So really it was just that entire like teen, early twenties phase. And which is why I, I target that audience because, and what's interesting is like, yes, it's been the same anxiety through, but like how I coped with it, you know, in self-destructive ways and, you know, all the different things that occurred, there are like pivotal moments, but it was all trying to deal with that same anxiety. So yeah. Well, the the name of the podcast is Pathways to Greatness. And what we just talked about is my main goal for the podcast is everybody has a different definition of greatness. Everybody has a different pathway. It is not a linear path to greatness. And the biggest thing that I want to be able to do is share stories like yours with people so they don't quit and that they persevere and that they just equip themselves to be able to navigate the rocks, the roots, the twists, the turns that they're going to face in their pathway to greatness. So Mm -hmm. how would you define greatness? Wow. You know, I've never been asked to define greatness, but I feel like it's, it's probably a very personal definition as to what you consider greatness. Um, I feel like for me, it means I mean, truly down to like the simple humanist behavior of I get up every morning and I, and I get to serve other people and with, you know, with things that have really helped me. And at the end of the day, I get to look back and know that, you know, I affected a life and I impacted a life. And I think there's greatness in our stories and our experiences. And, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, maybe possibly, you know, definitions of greatness could be like success in a role or success in a job, or, you know, I had children, which is a huge success or, you know, I, whatever it may be, you know, for, for people, but for me personally, it's impacting other people with what I made it through, you know, that transition from suffering from to living with and, and really it's truth. There's so many layers to that greatness too. I mean, and it sounds boastful and I, it's actually really strange to kind of talk about from like a personal perspective. I feel, I'm feeling kind of like anxious symptoms being like, yeah, I'm talking about how great I am right now. That's not, that's not what I'm doing people. That's not what I'm doing. Um, but I feel like if I were to define greatness for me, 
it's just, you know, working on myself every single day to, to show up, to be the best version of myself. And, and then also self-forgiveness on days when I'm not the best version of myself and owning that and, and taking accountability for certain things, especially in the past, like things that, you know, like I told you, when before I got to this healthier side, it was very self-destructive. So part of being great is also taking ownership of when you hurt yourself and other people Mm -hmm. like this was my fault, or this is, this is something I did. And I own that. And there's, there's so much freedom and ownership of even our mistakes and stuff that we did, whether it was on accident or on purpose, you know, like there's so many, there's so much power in that. So just accountability and growth, just constantly working on, on myself every single day. I hope that answered the question. Oh, that was fantastic. (laughs) Well, and I was going to say, while you were talking, I jotted a few notes down is that I want people to pay attention to And if they need to rewind it, rewind it, listen to it again, is you talked about forgiveness to yourself. And that's, that's so hard to do. We all know we need to do it and we have to do it. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to carry that forever. I um, went through this training recently and it talked about um, negativity as a brick that every time mm. you hold on to something, you're putting a brick in your backpack That's and good. you're filling that backpack with bricks. And the same thing about not forgiving yourself for mistakes and ownership, you're holding on to that brick and you just keep putting those in your backpack. Well, before long, you're, it's going to pull you over. And so how do you release the brick is you give it away. You forgive yourself. Yeah. You forgive yourself and, and just, just again, just serving others, just making sure that there's, you know, you're leading with that servant mentality. And and the hardest part I think about, especially for me, for that self-forgiveness is, and again, it's not a perfect process, right? Like it's, it's an active living thing of self-forgiveness, um, is that, you know, I was, you know, that's a long time frame of seven years. There's a lot of people I came in contact with, a lot of people in my life that to this day, I mean, we're talking going on 20, you know, 15 to 20 years later, that people constantly still remind me of things that I've done or I've said or how I used to be. I mean, there's there's just constant, you know, that, but like that part of greatness too, is also recognizing your faults, you know, but also exercising your strengths and then letting go of people who you don't need in your life. Right. Like that, that's part of the process too. And these particular people that feel the need to constantly lean on you and weigh on you and try to bring you down, or you're, this is not who you are. You were this person. It's like, well, that wasn't really me. You know, like that just wasn't really me. Um, you don't have to over explain yourself. You don't have to do any of that. It's just, as long as you're true to who you are and you're, and you're working, like I said, work in progress, one degree of greatness at a time. Right. Well, and we're all a work in progress. <laughs> yes. Every day, every that day. Was, that was one of the, the big realization is I carried this thing that I had to be perfect. Mm. And I don't know, I don't know why. I mean, it was a self-image issue and self-esteem issue. Mm but I've never encountered a perfect person ever. And Same. So I don't understand why we all think that we have to be that way when nobody else is that way. And it's, it can be a challenge. Yeah. And I, I think about all the young people that, you know, especially now with social media, there's that constant comparison to these quote unquote, perfect people, or there's constantly like, comparing yourself to other people or putting yourself up against others or feeling constantly like you're failing because you're out there looking at all these people. 
um, that are quote unquote doing better than you, you know, there's, we're constantly inundated with the message that we have to be better and do better. And like, not that, like, where does that come from? Like, why, why are we feeling that way when we look at these photos? Like, so those are the moments where I tell you people, I'm like, you need to go inward right now. Cause maybe it's not your problem, what they're showing. It's not your problem, what they're inundating you with. It's how you respond to it, right? Like, how are you choosing to respond to this message? And that, that's always the thing, Jeff, is there's so many things that we are in control of when it comes to mindset, greatness, you know, overcoming. And that's one of the things and what it means to be an overcomer is identifying the things that we can control about certain situations. And a lot of time, our response is totally controllable in moments when we feel out of control, we have to look how we can respond to the situation. And that gives us comfort in the control piece. Well, and like you said, and and i really appreciate you sharing that because I want people to hear that is regardless of their age, high school, college, how you respond to a situation is how the situation will go. Yeah. It, it might not turn out like the way you want it to, but you can right. make the best of the moment right. and not make it worse. <laughs> right. Yes. And there's, there's so many things. I mean, even down to Um, one of the things I talk about with young people is like the constant negativity in our mind, like the narrative that we say to ourselves, um, you know, the negative voice in your mind, the, the anxiety that's, that's weighing on you, like you're worthless or nobody loves you, or what's the point in doing this? You're going to fail. Like just that constant negative, you know, voice in your mind. It's like, again, we may not be able to control it all the time because it's in our mind. But again, we can control how we respond to that. We can control whether we choose to listen to what it's saying or not. I mean, there's, there's so many things that, and, and again, this, this is the self-forgiveness piece too, that people talk about one degree better at a time. Like every time the voice comes in my mind, I mean, I try to tell them like, you don't think every time I step on stage, there's not a voice in my mind. That's like, what are you doing here? Like, this is, this is crazy. No, one's going to care about what you have to say. No, one's going to, I mean, but my choice, my choice to respond is to step on stage. You know, that's my choice to respond is to just push past it. So that would be a challenge that I would have to all the listeners is like the things in your mind that constantly weigh you down or that are, that are telling you feedback. That is not what you want to hear. Choose to respond to it differently. What, what are some other, while you're on that is I would love for you to share some of the other tactics that you share in, in your workshops and when you're speaking to teens and young adults, because, A, I want to hear it because I deal with that stuff all the time. And I know that that will be beneficial for them as well. So, so one of the things I have found is that this generation is absolutely amazing. The I would probably say like the 15 to 25 generation right now, um, they've really demanded that we talk about mental health in the world. Like ever, they're just like, we want to talk about mental health. They're very adamant about it. Um, and I think it's cause it, it weighs on them heavier than I feel like it has other generations possibly, you know, but we didn't talk about it, right? Like even my generation didn't talk about it. So I don't know, I, I couldn't give you the stats on that, but just in terms of the verbal, you know, we just didn't talk about it, but this generation is. And, and, but as I started to really listen to what they were saying, um, I'm like, you guys don't really want to talk about it. You want to hear about it. That that's what I'm seeing is they don't necessarily want to talk about it because they don't know how. So there's there's some sort of gap there where they're like, I really want to hear about it. I want to learn everything about anxiety, depression. I want to know about mental health. I want to know how to do better, but I don't know how to tell anybody about how I'm feeling. I don't know how to have that conversation because I don't want people to judge me. 
I don't, you know, they won't understand me. So what's the point? I don't want them to think I'm weak. I want to learn about it though. Like, you know, but because, you know, they, they really want to learn about it, but so that's kind of a, a gap that I've been trying to fill is how do we have that conversation? How do we start that conversation? So um, it's very simple. I, I try to give them tools on how to have these non-intrusive conversations and, and how to sit with people that they know. And it's really down to little exercises I have them do together from go back and forth, like rapidly, like fun facts about yourself, just be like really for 60 seconds. So they're really kind of loosened up. And then we do 60 seconds of, if you really knew me, where every single line that they say back and forth to each other, they start the sentence with, if you really knew me, I mean, we're, we're, so we're, we're going a little bit deeper now. And then we spend 60 seconds with only one of them doing the talking and the other one doing the listening. And the one that's doing the listening is just repeating the phrase, tell me more. So every time a sentence is said by this teenager, let's just say, and you know, I, we did this once with um, a group of kids and we were going back and forth, me and her. And she said, fun fact, we're doing fun facts. She said, fun fact about me. I don't like my job. So we were doing fun facts back and forth. So then when we got to, if you really knew me, she said, if you really knew me, you know, I didn't like my job because I work at night. So that was what she said. And then when we got to tell me more, I really wanted to know more about this. So she said, well, you know, I don't like my job because I work at night. And so I just said, tell me more. And she said, well, because I work at night, you know, when my mom is already gone, cause she works third shift. So at night for her was like after school. Um, so she'd get home, you know, and her mom's already gone. And she's like, I would have to take care of like the housework and make sure my siblings were ready to go for school the next day. And then I'd be like, tell me more. And then she would just keep going and we just kept getting deeper and deeper. And what we found is at the end is she was just like, Brittany, you know, it really comes down to the fact that I just miss my mom. Mm. So, so we went from this high level fun fact of, I don't like my job all the way through to, oh, this is actually the issue. I just really miss my mom. And that's the power of tell me more. So when we're in workshops and students are interacting with me, if they tell me something, I literally just keep saying, tell me more. And they all start laughing, right? Because we just did this exercise. And I'm like, but watch this in real time. Watch us just like, I'm not asking anything intrusive. You're willingly giving this information with this very simple active listening Mm -hmm. technique. Because that's part of the problem too, is they don't know how to talk about it because they don't know who's going to really listen. This is the person actually learning to actively listen as well with just tell me more. I mean, that those three words just consistently over and over can open up a lot of doors for people. Mm. <laughs> that was so good. That's like one <laughs> of those. So like, simple. <laughs> yeah. You just stand up and want to say amen because it, <clears throat> it, it's that like when you were talking through it is it, you just have to take that moment to listen and not want to respond. Right. And even agree with them. Like, yeah, I'm sure that working at night is tough. Well, you've just taken away their opportunity to tell you more. Yeah. You've just interjected. It's, there was a good book that I read by John Maxwell. Everyone communicates few connect. I have that book. I haven't read it, but I have it over there. It's a great one because it's the connection. And what you're doing is you're connecting with that person because you're allowing them to share with you. It's a judgment-free zone you're just there to listen. Like, I'm not going to give you feedback. I just want to listen and hear you out. That's a great yes. one. And that's a great one, no matter how old you are to do 100%, that. 100%. I've had feedback from adults that are like, I'm going to use this with my husband or wife. I'm like, okay, let me know how that goes. Like, you know, <laughs> like, 
but it's just, but again, it doesn't have to be this, this huge event. It doesn't have to be this, um, like, it just is very simple. It just, right. it's just very simple. So. Yeah. And what, what I like about it as well, and I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts are like where to do these at, because I think we overcomplicate where to have these. So it makes it kind of weird right off the bat. What are your thoughts about sure. like where to have these? I think uh, what's interesting is I, again, again, we, I don't want us to overthink it, right? Like this, this should be very organic. So it could be just like driving in the car to dinner with your best friend. And she's just like sitting there and she's like, Oh my God, I am so stressed out. And it's just like, okay, well tell me more. Like, and you just are constantly repeating that, not responding any other way, digging, 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 but not intrusively, right? Because they're willingly offering this information, you know, because when you say, tell me more, they can free up whatever information they want. They're not, you're not necessarily being specific. And they're just like willingly, again, this is a non-intrusive conversation. And when I've seen this happen in real time, you know, in groups, people are very, it, it, it goes one of two ways. People are very much like, I don't know. I don't know if I have any more. So they have to actively think and like go deeper, which is a great self-awareness exercise also. But then you have these other groups where I see kids in tears because they're like, I just had to get that off my chest. You know, like they really went deeper. And now that they said it, guess what happens? What was weighing you down loses power over you once mm -hmm. you get it out. That is why I, I really lean into that's the first step in becoming an overcomer is talk to someone because what it does is it, it takes your anxiety and it just, it just loses its power. Once you get it out there, you let it, like you unburden yourself, even for just a moment. And you start to feel that then you start to see how simple it is to talk to people. You're more willing to do it. You know, it's just, it's almost like just that constant little exposure every single time. It's just going to create this freedom, you know, of your mind. So yeah, that's the, that's the big thing. Talk to someone. That's awesome. <laughs> So you, you, you shared the first step. What's, what's another step that you offer people? So contr controlling the controllables is, you know, I talked a little about that earlier is really kind of identifying uh, what about a situation that you can and can't control. Again, very simple exercise. I usually walk teens through is um, taking out a piece of paper and at the top, we just write down that thing that's causing you anxiety. And they usually write down something specific uh, for them. And then we draw a line down the paper. So we just draw a line. And I'm like, look, on the left side, I want you to list all the things about that situation that you can control. And they'll just take time, you know, about 60 seconds. We'll just have them put that on. And then the other side of the line, I'm like, what do you, what can you not control? You know, and then they just list all those out again. When we take it out of our mind, you know, we're, we're actively seeing it changes the game a little bit, changes the game. So then I tell them, you know, when we go car shopping, you want to buy a red car, what happens? You start to see only red cars on the road, right? Like that's, that's what our mind does. It's a psychological effect. It's fascinating. Um, everyone listening to this is like, yep, that happens. So I'm like, we're going to do that with the controllables and the uncontrollables. So we fold that sheet of paper and we only look at the things that we can control. We're, we're disassociating our mind from the things that we can't control. Because as human beings, we're problem solvers. So we automatically want to go to the things that we can't control because we're like, I'm going to control that. I'm going to change it. And it's like, fun fact, you can't. So I don't know why you're like <laughs> stressing yourself, making it worse. So when we only seeing and only face with the things that we can control, our mind is actively like, okay, look at all of these action items I have look at all of this. And that's going to make me feel good. I can check some boxes and I'm not looking at the things that I 
that I can't control. So you're just actively, and I tell people, I'm like, I do this exercise at home all the time. Like if there's something I need to do and I just need to like get it out, fold it. And I'm like, okay, this is my to-do list now. These are the things that I can control. And we just have them do that in real time. And I tell them, if, listen, if it, if it's out of your hands, it really does deserve freedom from your mind as well. So that's why we want to just pull that out of there. So that's the one of them too. That's good. So we've got talk to someone, control the controllables. Anything else on becoming an overcomer? Studying habits and routines for yourself. Absolutely critical. And the first thing I usually get from people, Jeff, especially young people is, I like to be spontaneous, Brittany. Like I like to be spontaneous. I don't like to set a routine. So it's kind of an aha moment for them when I tell them, well, fun fact, like no routine is indeed a routine, you know? And they're like, I'm like, it's a routine of chaos, stress, worry, lack of time management. I mean, unhealthy habits. I mean, you are really not doing yourself service. And then, you know, really letting them know that when you set habits and routines, like a planner, or like you plan out your day or you set things every single day, there's so much freedom. It takes away from your mind because you don't have to worry about it. It's already there. It's implemented into your life. You know, just like successful people will tell you in every single success book ever written, they have a routine, right? They get up, they make their bed, they work out, they take a shower. I mean, all before 6am. I mean, I don't do that. So, but I mean, a lot of people do, right? And but that's, that's one of the things I tell them, like I make my bed every morning, you know, cause that is something I can control right at the beginning of my day. Like at the beginning of my day, I started my day in control and it's just, it's just habitual at this point. So, and again, we, I don't want to make it overwhelming for them. Like, oh, you have to set a workout routine. You have to set this like, no, like what we need to do is identify the things that bring you joy and they have to be, you know, healthy behaviors that serve you. That's the difference. Cause I mean, there's a lot of things people enjoy that I'm like, that's not healthy and that doesn't serve you. Um, but then picking just one thing, you know, cause I often say like when people set goals, like January one to lose weight, you know what, this is, this is the reason so many of them fails because they change too many behaviors at one time. They go in, they purge the kitchen, they get a gym membership, they go seven days a week. And then they do this and do this and they do this. And I'm like, uh, you're literally changing your entire life when you should just change one thing. Just change one thing, baby steps. We talk about one degree of greatness at a time. Mm -hmm. Just changing one behavior can make all the difference. So I have them do an exchange, which is, you know, find a behavior that serves you. We're going to add it to your routine. We usually put it in their phones or something. But I said, what is one behavior that you need to let go of too? Because we can't build healthy behaviors on behaviors because we're just, we're going to overwhelm ourselves and we're going to end up failing. So just exchange, just a nice little exchange. Um, one of my students once that I spoke to, she emailed me a few weeks after the event that I was at with her. And she's like, I got to let you know what I removed and replaced it with. She's like, it's been a game changer for my life. So I was reading this email and um, she started to recognize, you know, by controlling her controllables that one of the things that caused her a lot of stress and anxiety was constantly getting notifications on her phone. Like she's like, Instagram's dinging, my messages are dinging, my Snapchat. And what happens with young people is if you don't respond right away, it's like, an insult in their world. Like it's very much like negative. So people are stressed about like, I don't want to make people upset. I mean, it's just this, I can't believe the anxiety they, they deal with, with the notifications, especially with like Snapchat and things like that. She's like, I carried a lot of guilt with not responding to people right away. So she's like, I put do not disturb on my phone. So the notifications aren't even coming through. Mm. 
And she's like, the only people that can get a hold of me that she sat on her phone were like her mom and her dad and like her boyfriend and her sister or something. Um, but she's like, anybody else, like, I just, I have to actively go in and check. And she's like, I feel so much better, just lighter, freer. I mean, granted, she did tell her friends, her close friends, what she was doing, which I felt was appropriate, you know, like just let them know. So you're not like cutting them out of your life or anything. And she, you know, we were talking back and forth via email and she did say that some of her friends were upset with her because of it. And she's like, this has been a really good eye-opening exercise as to who is really my friend and who's not. And I'm like, wow. So you're just getting all kinds of benefits from this, like really working for you. So I like to share that story with young people because that is so important. And um, the few events I've been at that I've shared that some of the girls and boys in the audience have done that. And I hope it serves them well in the future. Well, it will. And just you sharing that as an adult, that's something that I challenge with because I, I want to stay connected and I want to I want to show people that I pay attention to them. And so I have a lot of alerts on Instagram. So like when they mm. make a post, I want to be able to respond. So then that way, mm. you know, I like what they put up, but I also want to be able to be interacting with them. And I'm learning, I've got to turn that off because it's just like a constant buzz, buzz, but it's all the Ugh. time. So when you were talking about that, what I kept hearing, the word I kept hearing was boundaries. You're teaching people how to set yes. healthy boundaries. Yeah. Without saying that. Right. I think that's, what's really cool is because I think sometimes when we say things like you need to set boundaries, like, it's like, first of all, I don't know what that means. And second of all, <laughs> um, like really what, because the, there's so many different ways to set boundaries, but if you can like show them without showing them, you know, it's like, Oh, that's what you're doing. Um, but yeah. So the, the last thing that I, I, uh, really stress with them is consistency is, um, because I'm, you know, again, like going to the gym, you know, you can't go one day and expect to see results. Just like all of these healthy behaviors that we're talking about, like talking to someone and, you know, controlling what you can control and setting habits and routines. It's great for one day may not make all the difference in one day, but I've been doing this for 15 years every day, you know, and, um, just really being consistent, but also forgiving yourself again, when days don't go that way, there are days I'm totally off routine and days when I can't get out of bed, but it does not decrease the value of who I am or the space I take up. It's just a bad day, you know, and, and that's okay. So, but what's great about habits and routines is we fall back on that right? Like it's habitual. So even on days when the routine's off tomorrow, the next day, it's going to pick back up. Like we're going to fall back into routine. And again, I just think there's so much power in that, that, that we don't, we just don't know till we're in it. Oh, for sure. And one of the things it's not an original for me, but I heard this phrase one time is that habits eat willpower for lunch. <laughs> Because you can Love want it. to do that, but it's just a habit. You just, mm -hmm. you just reach to reach to it without even knowing. And yeah. so you'll end up saying, well, I don't want to have that like a dessert after a dinner. You just, it's a trigger. You just, you finish eating. You want to go have a sweet. Well, that's right. a habit. Right. And how much willpower do you have to go, you know what? I'm not going to have that. Right. And <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody that wants that kind of willpower <laughs> <laughs> like I like that there's healthy habits too right, right exactly exactly <laughs> um so you know when you you talked about these four things and you talked about like your your time with your you know as you were learning how to manage your anxiety manage a lot of the things that you were up against were these all the things that you learned through those seven years 
Um, yeah, because I wasn't doing a single one of them. Um, but I think one of the things, like when I started to like make the choice to really like, okay, I'm going to have to manage this, right. I'm going to have to get, I mean, I was in counseling and I was doing all the things, but, um, and there's a lot of self-awareness in there and I'm a huge proponent of counseling and therapy. So like go those things, especially when you feel good. I think we often like, just like the doctor, I'm sick. I'm going to go to the doctor. I think when people think counselor or therapist is like, oh, you're, you're sick. So go to the doctor, but it's like, actually I feel great. So I'm going to go to the therapist, right? Like it's just, I'm going, I'm going to tell them all about my awesome self right now. Um, there's so much power in that. I just want to say that nice little plug for all your counselors and therapists out there. Um, but I think that, um, what I started to recognize, um, was that, you know, things were chaos, but I started to like figure out things that really triggered me, like things that I, I, that were just much harder for me than like, like neurotypical people, right? Like what people could do every day. I was just fascinated and overcome with, you want to talk about comparison. I was so so stressed. I was like, I don't understand how these people can do that. Like, how is that so easy for you? I can't do that. That's literally super hard for me. I, I literally like cringe at the idea of doing this. Um, so I just adapted, you know, cause that's the thing when I talk about ownership and maybe some people don't want to hear this. And I, I think it can be kind of controversial, but like my anxiety is no one else's problem. Like, it's really not, I don't want you to change your ways for me. I will adapt to what's comfortable for me. You know, so like, and I think there, I think that's oftentimes what the thing that we, we, especially when we're in it and we're really like, I don't understand it. We're really trying to learn how to cope with what we're dealing with. We expect others to understand and change what they're doing for us. Like, but they don't understand and that's okay. Right. We, we cannot expect them to understand. There has to be grace given on all sides when you're working with someone with mental illness or loving someone with mental illness or helping someone through situations like grace has got to be given on both sides. And like my husband, my friends, I do not expect them to adapt for me. So for example, it's a very simple thing, but something that causes me a lot of anxiety is road trips when I'm trapped in a car that's not my own. I like the idea of being able to leave a situation at my own control. So I will never ride with someone anywhere. So what do I do? I just drive myself. I just drive myself and I'm good to go. Like I'm having a great time. Like things are good. I can leave when I need to. I'm, I'm good. That is something I have adapted. I'm not going to ask someone to change their behavior for me. And in situations again, where I'm like, look, this is a situation that causes me a lot of anxiety. You guys do you, I'm going to do me. It's going to be great. You know, adapt adapt what you're doing. I think there's so much power in that kind of ownership that, that I really just, I value, I value so much. There's so much strength in what you said. And I, again, I hope people are really listening to these catchphrases that you have because they're phrases that give power. So my anxiety is no one else's problem. That right. comes from confidence and strength to be able to say that. Um, that's like a superhero word. <laughs> <laughs> anxiety is no one else's problem. Well, I, well, I'm working with these young people and that's part of their anxiety is they're like, no one will understand. No one gets me. No one feels what I'm feeling. And I'm like, we have to let that go. Like there's let it go. Let's focus on how you're feeling with it and you're dealing with it. You know? Cause I think we're just like, I don't talk to people because they won't understand. So what's the point? Well, of course they may not understand. They're not you. They're not feeling it. We're not asking them to understand. We're asking them to listen. We're asking them to help us when we need help. 
But again, I, I, even working with adults, you know, especially in like marriages, I get a lot of wives that contact me. Like my husband just doesn't, he just doesn't, he just doesn't, he just doesn't. And it's like, well, have you told him what you're, what you need? Like what, you know what I mean? Just opening that. Tell me more, right. Tell me more. No one knows how to have those conversations around mental health. And again, it's like, we put so much ownership on other people when, when really the ownership is to be had here. And I'm sure that's controversial for some people. Maybe some people don't want to hear it and that's okay. Maybe right now is not the time you need to hear it, but at one point it will click. Like I promise it will like just, just really, again, my anxiety is nobody else's problem. What goes back to your second exercise, controlling the controllables. I mean, by, by admitting that you have control over that one, you're taking power away from anxiety and it's just like a flare up. It's like, if you get a rash or something like, okay, what do I need to do to deal with it? Exactly. Exactly. I'm obviously not going to go rub on somebody else. You know, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That might cause them anxiety. Just stay stay far away. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just so good because regardless if it's anxiety, if it's certain other things that you're experiencing, making that statement is so critical because then that's that control. That's the strength. That's the confidence that you need to have to be able to push through. And it's not a victim mentality. It's not a fixed min- mindset. It's a growth mindset. It's like, okay, I have this now. What can I do? And you, you, you figured it out or figuring it out. Cause I'm sure it's different every day. Sure. And now you're finding fulfillment in helping other people find their way. Cause you wish you were there. 15 years ago. hundred percent. I always felt like if I had somebody standing in front of me, like when I was a teenager, if I had somebody stand in front of me and tell me that they feel they have felt how I felt and they've made it through and here's how they did it. I always felt like that would made, would have made all the difference, but that's like my Monday morning quarterback, like, right. Like where it's like, of course I can look back and think of all the things I could have done, but I really do think that would have made all the difference for me. Right. So that leads me to the to the next question is, how did you make that decision with anxiety to all of a sudden say, I want to be a public speaker. I want to do the, <laughs> the one thing that the majority of the world fear that over death. So this is funny. I, I was just on another podcast earlier this week and they, they asked me the same question. They're like, how can you be a public speaker if you have anxiety? I get asked this after every single speaking engagement. In fact, I was just in Chicago on Thursday and someone asked me that and I started laughing and she was like, what's so funny? I'm like, it's hilarious. This happens at every event. And it's always an adult that asks me like, how do you, how do you get up there? If you have anxiety, that's, that's crazy. Um, Cause they're like, I don't have anxiety and this stresses me out, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm like, no, I totally get it. But anxiety is different for everyone, right? Like everyone experiences it differently. There are certain different triggers for everybody. Just how we cope is very different. Um, which is why I always tell people, I'm like, if you tell me to deep breathe and meditate one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Like, that's what I tell people. Like, don't tell me that doesn't work for me, but I appreciate it. Um, but that's, that's, I mean, it really just comes down to that. That's how I know that I'm living my purpose is this is a situation that doesn't cause me anxiety. In fact, one-on-one conversations, like when people come up to me physically one-on-one, um, I'm very awkward. I often apologize because I'm like, I can't look you in the eye. I'm actively listening though. But if I look you in the eye, all I'm thinking about is my own self, right? Like I'm very anxious one-on-one. I'm not good. I fumble with my hands. I'm like, Ugh. like, I just, am like, don't like, I'm so awkward, but 
but the bigger the audience, the more comfortable I am because in those moments, it's not about me. It's about them. And I really do always like before I get on stage, I'm always like, let the words flow through me that they need to hear, not the ones that I want to say. And I get up there and I just serve them. And it's a whole different experience when it's about the audience and not you. And that I'm just super grateful that I'm able to do it. So that's awesome. That's cool. Well, and everything that you've shared so far is about helping others. It's getting them through their challenges by sharing what you're willing to share. Because again, Mm -hmm. I think that's the other important thing that I heard from you and that we stress is be authentic, share Mm -hmm. what you're comfortable sharing. You don't need to, you know, regurgitate all your dirty laundry because some of it's not appropriate for other people to know. Exactly. That's where a therapist, a counselor, somebody that in in a safe environment can definitely do it, but you can still be authentic and share your struggles, but you don't have to go into the nitty gritty detail. And I think that's where some people feel like I can't share because I feel like I have to share everything. No, no, there's, and what's, you know, I work with speakers every day. And I think that one of the things we often talk about is there's difference. Like a lot of speakers will use the stage for therapy that we call it therapy from the stage. And that's not, that's not serving the audience whatsoever. That's like self-serving. And I think sometimes people do it accidentally, like not knowing that they're doing it, but um, it is very healing to share your story. But again, there's so many things that I could share that I choose not to, that does not make me not authentic. Like you were saying it, it makes all I'm trying to do by sharing my story is create trust and connection. And, and so I can sit there and be like, Hey, me too. Like, let me tell you how I overcame it. You know, like, let me tell you how I, how, okay. and what I, the, the different battle pointed tests that I do, like talk to someone, control the controllables, habits and routines, and be consistent is anyone can plug themselves into that as to what it means for them. There's no go do deep breathing, go do meditate, go do this. That's going to work for you when it probably won't work for everyone, you know, but how would you know, build your own habits and routines, lean into the things that bring you joy. What brings you joy may not bring this person joy. And you both are really struggling with anxiety, lean into the things that you can control again, different for everybody. Talk to someone that's going to look different for everybody, but being consistent is so critical. I think there's, cause again, we try things and it's like, Oh, that didn't work one day. And like, like, no, give it time, you know, give it time. And, and that's the effort though. Cause really it was a conversation with myself. You want to talk about rock bottom? The moment when I was like, okay, here, I'm going to go do this. Like I'm either going to do this or this. It was look, life is hard right now. Things are really hard for me. Um, getting well is hard also because doing things like talking to someone, building habits and routines, controlling what you can control. Like that is hard work. It is work every day. But what's also hard is living in a world of constantly suffering, just constantly in that world of just like anguish and pain emotionally and mentally. It's really just, you got to choose your hard, man. Like you just got to choose which pathway of hard you want to take. And I chose the other one again, doesn't make it a perfect path. Right. But it's just, you got to choose which hard you want to lean into. There's another t-shirt you have the, my anxiety (laughs) is no one else's problem and choose your hard. I don't know if that's a new original, but that's great. Sure, it's out there. That's not un- <laughs> people are gonna be coming at me like trademark stuff. They're gonna be like, I already have all this on coffee mugs, and I'll be like, it's fine. I don't well, need any you credit. Don't sell it, then you're fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it's those those are the type of things that 
resonate with people and they yeah. hear it and then they go, okay, because what that's showing them, A, that they have a choice and B, both sides are going to be hard. Yeah. It's like, which one is going to, like you said earlier, which one's going to bring you more happiness? Which one's yeah. going to have more positive influence on the world? Is it going to be suffering with anxiety every day and, you know, just a wreck or is it, okay, I'm ready to do the work. I'm ready to yeah. figure this thing out and manage this and own what I have and then work through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a literally a work in progress. And that's, I, it has to be because you can't cure it. Right. I can't cure my anxiety. It, it, I live with it. I don't suffer from it anymore. I think that's, that's what I always said. I, I was suffering from now I live with, right. Like how do we manage and overcome it? And again, a lot of that really comes down to ownership truly. Well, and, and again, I'm a big word choice. So I'm glad that you made that differentiation for people is suffering versus living. Living, living is you're in, in control. Mm -hmm. Suffering is anxieties in control. Yeah, exactly. So what three questions, if we fast forward and you get to ask your 10 year from now self, what three questions now. would you ask yourself? Like, ask myself at 47, like, sure. well, I think I would just start with the basic of how are you doing? Like, how are you doing? Like, how are things overall in your life? Um, you know, I think that's a really solid question. And then I would respond with the same question for the next two questions. Tell me more. I like that. Look at that. Yeah. Practicing what you preach. <laughs> Pre preaching what I practice, sir. Yep, there you go. That both sides of the coin. Both sides. <laughs> well, Brittany, this was awesome. This was absolutely fantastic. I had a blast. So what would you like to leave the audience with today? Just knowing that they aren't alone and, you know, there's always hope and healing on the other side. Yeah, that's about it. That's great. And how can people find you or follow you? Oh gosh. Instagram is where I'm most active. Uh, that's my favorite platform. And it's the Brittany Richmond. Not that that makes me special. Um, there was just another Brittany Richmond and she wouldn't let me pay for the domain. So I just went with the, so the Brittany Richmond is where it's at. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, and I'll have, I'll get everything from you that you want me to put in the show notes. So that way people can click on that little ellipsis and expand that and find everything they can about you. I'm grateful that we cross paths and Thank that you. we both have the same mission to help young people get more out of life. Yes, that's what it's about. Yep. Well, thank you. 